All right, let's open your Bibles to Luke chapter 9, please. Luke chapter 9. There we are. Am I, I think it's a little low. Luke chapter 9, are we there? Luke chapter 9, yeah. I think there it comes through. Luke chapter 9, verse 1 is where we're going to begin. Let me say just real quick two things. Number one, outstanding solo on the song. Khaliz Sila, well done. Beautiful song. Very well done. And secondly, how many of you know where the new church plot is at? Can you just lift your hands? I, I just getting a general idea. All right. For those of you that aren't sure, follow those hands. <laughs> but uh, you can go onto our website and find directions to it, or you can find the address. Uh, so bbcpotch.com if you, if you want that kind of help. But also 527 MC Rueda is the address. You can plug that into your GPS. Um, or if you, want to, if you know Potch, just go towards the Roots Lifestyle Center where we used to meet. Go towards the Roots. Go past it. So if you were coming from here, go past the Roots. What is it? Maybe not even a kilometer up on the right-hand side. You'll see we have a sign standing in front of the uh, entrance now, Bible Baptist there. All right, Luke chapter 9. And we're going to read verses 1 to 6. This is where we're at chronologically as we're going through the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 9, verse 1. It says, Then he called his twelve disciples together and gave them power and authority over all devils and to cure diseases. And he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And he said unto them, Take nothing for your journey, neither staves nor scrip, neither bread, neither money, neither have two coats apiece. And whatsoever house ye enter into, there abide, and thence depart. And whosoever will not receive you, when ye go out of that city, shake off the very dust from your feet for a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the towns, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere." I want to focus your attention, what we saw there at the end in verse 6. If I could sum it up, they departed and preached everywhere. Obviously, there's more to the passage, and we're going to talk about all of it. But I'm going to preach the sermon this way. My the title today of the message is, They Were Just Different. These guys, they were just different. And we're going to talk about these differences for just a few minutes this morning. Let's bow our heads. Let's pray together. Father... Help us this morning. We want to open up our hearts to what it is you're trying to tell us. Lord, I'm sure there's something we need to learn from this passage. I pray that you might stir our hearts and renew our commitment to the commission. Lord, we want to take seriously this privilege of preaching the gospel. Help us now. Meet with us. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. These men, they had a, a unique ministry in many ways. There are some similarities in the passage with things that we do today in the ministry, but most of this is going to be very, very different. Myself, I grew up as a Roman Catholic. Many of you know that. My dad wanted to be the Pope when he was a little boy. Obviously, that didn't work out. Here I am, but that was his desire. My, my aunt is a nun. I have six great aunts that are nuns. My great uncle is a priest and a very, very Catholic family. We were taught that it is a sin to visit another church. It's a sin to even go to their service. So for many years, I was not allowed to do that. 
At a certain point, a young lady that I happened to be dating invited me to her Southern Baptist Church, big, big Baptist Church in America, and my dad said, you can go on one condition. Don't pay attention to anything they say. Just pay attention to the girl. I thought, I said, Dad, I'm, I'm already ahead of you on that one. That was, that was the plan anyway. But from that point on, he let me visit a couple of different churches under the same conditions. He let me go with one of my buddies to a, an Assemblies of God church. Now, I don't know if you're familiar with that. Um, the A of G, it's a Pentecostal slash charismatic type movement. And I must have been, I think, 14 or 15 at the time. Um, I sat in that church service and everything seemed fairly normal. The pastor got up and he was just going through his sermon. And um, it wasn't, I, I can't remember what he was preaching about, but it wasn't anything too outlandish. And right there in the middle, right in the middle of a sentence, and then he went right back to his sermon. And I, I thought, oh dear, oh shame. The man had an aneurysm. Something's not real. Honestly, I'm, and I'm, I, I did not, I wasn't trying to be rude or funny. I leaned over to my friend and I said, is he okay? Because he was, I thought, slurring his words. And I thought, man, that, that guy's having an episode. Why isn't, why aren't people rushing forward to help him? And then my buddy leaned, leaned over and said, no, 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 he's just talking in tongues. I had never heard of that. Right? It, it, this is true of all of us. When you grow up in a certain church, you just get used to the way you do things in that church. And, you know, I was used to in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You know, I was used to that. And so and then I get into the hasta la shanda antai botai. I'd never, I'd never heard anything like that. So that, that was different. That caught my attention. I got invited by some other friends to a special revival type meeting. We actually went to a Methodist church, but they weren't doing Methodist things. They had some non-denominational guy, I guess, come in to preach. And, and it just so happens I was sitting on the front row with all of my buddies. And the pastor at the end, or this preacher, this evangelist, he said, all right, I want everybody in the front row to stand. I thought, great. So we all stood, and he started at that end. I was kind of in the middle, and he worked his way down. In the name of Jesus, wham! And that guy hit the ground. In the name of Jesus, wham! And that guy hit the ground. And I, I thought, oh boy, he's getting close. <laughs> Here he is. He's getting close. He's getting close. And I, right, I don't know what to do. I've never been a part of that. So when he, when he got to me, he said, in the name of Jesus. And he put his hand on my head, and I just stood there. And he, and he pushed, and I thought, don't push me again. <laughs> this, this isn't right. How are you going to get in church and push me around? <laughs> so when he pushed, he, he just he looked at me weird like, Oh no. And then he went to the next guy. In the name of Jesus, he just skipped me. So after a couple of people, I just sat down. I didn't know what else to do, so I just sat back in my seat. But that was different. That was very different. The first time that Christina and I ever walked into a Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church, we had just, the pastor had come to our house the Tuesday before. He invited us to the church service. We walked in, and the pastor wasn't uh, doing the teaching. There was another man giving the lesson at that time as a Sunday school lesson. We got there late, so we were good Baptists from day one, amen. We got there late. We showed up late for Sunday school, and as we were walking in to sit down, the guy behind the pulpit said, and the blueness of a wound cleanseth away all evil. 
I mean, some of you are already looking a little confused. <laughs> so do the stripes, the inward parts of the belly. That's a verse from Proverbs chapter 20, verse 30. He was talking about raising children and using a bit of, you know, properly pox law. You know, give them a, give them a lecker hiding. The blueness of a wound cleanseth away evil. And I sat down and I leaned over to Christine. I said, I like it here. Because <laughs> I, I, I was raised with that. And, and she leaned over and said, I don't know about this. Because she, she wasn't raised with that. Neither of us were saved at the time. But that was a brand new experience to step into a church where it was just Bible, Bible, Bible. I, I was raised in a church. I never missed a Sunday of church my whole life growing up. I never heard that much Bible, ever. We start, you know, we get involved in this church. We shortly after get saved, and every night of the week we go out witnessing with our pastor. Every night. We'd knock off from work, go to his house, fold tracks, pray, we go out on the streets for two or three hours every night handing out gospel tracts and talking to people about the Lord. We did this for six months. At one stage, they organized something called soul hunts. Like you guys go hunting for various boca and things like that. We went hunting for souls. And that, that's actually a verse in the book of Ezekiel chapter 13. They hunt for souls. So we went out soul hunting. And it was an, we had an outstanding time. We go out eight hours a day. Just hunting for souls. You know what? That was different. I wasn't raised with that. That was very different. Now let me be careful to say, uh, different, right, is just that, different. Just because it's different doesn't mean it's right or that it's wrong. It may just be different from what you're used to. The way you determine whether or not it's right or wrong is does that line up with the Bible? Certain of those experiences that I just shared with you scared me and continue to scare me to this day because I don't see them happening in the Bible. But there are other things that I just described to you that are happening in the Bible. I saw it happening in that church, but unfortunately you don't see them happening in the body of Christ at large. Some of those things should not be strange and different, but unfortunately they are. Now, I'm going to talk to you for a few minutes about why these men were just so different. In verse number 1, it says, Then he called his twelve disciples together and gave them power and authority over all devils and to cure diseases. In verse 2, he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. So the first thing I want to say is they had a different system of proclamation. A different system of proclamation. I'm going to break that down one thing further and say they also had a different substance in their preaching. Now let's go a little deep, all right? I'm, I'm going to get to some more practical stuff as we go through the sermon, but I'm going to get a little deep on you at the beginning here. When I say they had different substance in their preaching, they preached the kingdom of God. So do we. We also preach the kingdom of God, but when they went out to preach the kingdom at that time. They did not preach the same thing that we preach now. Not precisely. Not precisely. They said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. They did not go out saying, repent because Jesus has died for your sins. He was buried and he has risen again the third day. Why? That hadn't happened yet. So the substance of our preaching is a little bit different from what they were saying. However, let's, let's also be honest here, be, be clear. The umbrella statement of the kingdom of God being offered, 
Yes, they also had that offer. If you accept Jesus as your Messiah, then the kingdom could be established, right? Not only the personal kingdom inside of your heart, but also the political kingdom in the nation of Israel. Both were being offered at that time. But we also preach something towards that effect now. We say if you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, you enter the spiritual kingdom of God. That is to say, the Holy Spirit rules in your heart. Right? We read in the book of Romans, For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Don't we preach this? Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. We do preach about the kingdom, no doubt. But I want you to understand the substance in the preaching is going to be a little different at this time. Now, furthermore, maybe the larger picture here, the system of their proclamation you see that they had authority and power from Jesus over all devils to cure diseases, to heal the sick. We know other things like cleanse the lepers, to raise the dead. The things that Jesus was doing, were doing, they, they could also do those kind of miracles. They had special abilities because it was a special time and they were trying to accomplish a special purpose. They were manifesting the Messiah to the nation of Israel, listen carefully, Jews require a sign. And that is why when Jesus began to preach, his ministry and his message was accompanied with miraculous signs. Because a Jew requires a sign. It's not enough for them to just hear the word. They need that word to be confirmed with a miracle. I want you to hold your place here in Luke and turn over to the book of Acts, if you would. Acts chapter 5. It is perfectly appropriate, even today, if you are sick, you're more than welcome. And I would recommend, ask God to do the miracle. It is not beyond God to do miracles today. God can still cure diseases, heal the sick. God can do any of that stuff. However... Those particular signs and miracles, wunderwerke, as Yella say, that is not a part of the everyday ministry. Can it still happen on occasion? Yes, and rarely it does. And we're more than welcome to pray for that. But, but that is not going to be part of our preaching ministry. As we go about handing out tracts and trying to talk to people about the Lord, we must not expect to see these kind of miracles happening each and every time we go out to minister. In Acts chapter 5, watch carefully what it says. Verse 12. Verse 12, it says, And by the hands of the who? Of the apostles. Friends, we are not all apostles. We're reading about the apostles in Luke chapter 9, but we are not all apostles. It says, By the hands of the apostles, speaking about the twelve, were many signs and wonders wrought among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. And of the rest, verse 13, durst no man join himself to them. Nobody else dared to say, we can do what those apostles can do. Why? Because they had special abilities for a special time. They had a special purpose. They had a unique ministry. Guys, they were just different. No one durst, says the, of the rest, durst no man join himself to them but the people magnified them. They said, these guys have something special. We, we read this in Luke 9, didn't we? Jesus gave them power 
and authority. That is not something that has been passed on to every single believer. But that being said, come to Mark chapter 16. You can leave Acts, hold on to Luke, come to Mark 16. And this is normally the place where people come to prove that every believer does have access to these miracles when it comes to ministry. Let's begin looking in verse 17. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues, which is what happened in Acts 2. They shall take up serpents, and if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. May I just point out, there are no misfires. (laughs) Jesus didn't say, you'll lay hands on the sick, and some of them will recover. He didn't say, you lay hands on the sick, and maybe they recover. He said, they shall. There was no misfires in that ministry. Now you say, but, but Brother Mike, in verse number 17, it says, These signs shall follow them that believe. I am a believer, so shouldn't I expect these signs? Remember this important rule of studying the Bible. Who is talking? To whom is he talking? Right? Jesus is talking, but to whom? Verse number 14. Afterward he appeared unto the eleven. Right? Judas is gone out of the picture, so 11, as they sat at meat, and upbraided them. He chewed them out, upbraided them with their what? These apostles were struggling to believe that Jesus had risen from the dead. The women had already come back from the tomb and said, He's risen. We met with some angels. They told us the whole story. He's risen. He's not in the tomb. The tomb is empty. They're getting excited. And those men said, you bunch of crazy women. Come on. Oh, Frau Sturis. They dismissed it. Jesus shows up, walks through the door, not through an open door, through a closed door and says, peace be unto you. I mean, that's how you enter a room. (laughs) You walk through the closed door, peace be unto you. Because everybody's got to be freaking out at that point. And then he starts chewing them out saying, guys, I I told you that I would rise, that should have been enough, but now I have sent multiple witnesses to you to say that I've risen, you shot that down as well. Shame on you. And he began to chew them out for the hardness of their heart. Do you see that? For their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. He is talking to apostles that were struggling with belief. Yes? Yes? Verse 15, go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. And then by the time you get down to verse 17, he's still talking to the apostles. Guys, he says to these apostles, if you will believe, these signs shall follow. Say, Pastor, how do we know that that is the proper interpretation and understanding of this passage? Read the book of Acts. Because when you get into the book of Acts, not everybody that believed had these miraculous capabilities. But the apostles did. So the Bible interprets itself. That's not a private interpretation. That's just the Bible playing itself out. Verse 19, So then, after the Lord had spoken unto them, He was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. And they, the apostles, went forth and preached everywhere. The Lord working with them. Uh, Can I just point this out on a practical note? Wouldn't you like to be able to do something side by side with God? Wouldn't that be nice? You know, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, the Bible says, if you are busy planting the seeds of the gospel, if you are busy watering the seeds of the gospel, you are laboring together with God. 
Say, Pastor, I want to walk with God. I want to do something together with God. This is what God's busy doing. God has a field. He has a harvest to tend to, and He lacks laborers. And if you'll get out there in the field, start laboring, you'll find out the Lord works with you. It says, they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the Word with signs following And then Mark finishes with, Amen. This is the apostolic ministry. They're preaching a brand new message. And in order to confirm that this message has has been sent from heaven, it was confirmed with signs. But once the message got confirmed, the signs are no longer part of the ministry. Miracles can still happen. We can still pray for a miracle. But it's no longer part of of the ministry. Say, Pastor, is this biblically consistent? In Egypt, this is where the whole signs thing got started. God calls Moses, you're going to bring my people out of Egypt. Moses said, but I don't even know your name. He said, I am that I am. That ought to do it. And he said, well, okay, I can't use that as an excuse. He said, but, but Pharaoh's a big shot. You know, how am I going to overcome Pharaoh? He said, Pharaoh's a big shot, but I'm a bigger shot. <laughs> Moses said, okay, I can't use that. And he said, but you know, these Jews, they're hard-headed. And if they don't see a miracle, they won't believe. God did not argue with Moses. He said, okay, here's what we'll do. Throw your rod on the ground. Turns into a serpent. Grab it again. Turns back into a rod. And he says, you see, put your hand in. Go Napoleon on him. He puts his hand in. Brings it out. Leprous. He said, put it back in. Put it back in. Healing. And then he says, if the first two signs don't convince them, here's a third one. The water turns to blood. You know what Jesus did when he showed up? He had power over unclean spirits, serpents. He was healing, and the first miracle he ever did was turning water to wine, which is a picture of blood, the prophet like unto Moses. Why? Because he came for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Moses had signs. Yes? Ten plagues worth of miracles. Yes? Red Sea. You know how many times that was done? Once. After the miracles accomplish their purpose, you don't see Moses going through the wilderness continuing to do those same miracles. After Joshua gets into the land, you don't see the same miracles over and over again. It was part of that Egyptian ministry to get them out. But then after the miracles serve their purpose, God can still do a miracle and He did more. But He didn't repeat the same miracles over and over again. That's the biblical precept we see. So back in Luke chapter 9, we see they had a different system of proclamation. As I mentioned, maybe a sub-point to that, different substance in their preaching. Secondly, I want to say this in verses 3 and 4. They had a different structure for their provision. A different structure for provision. Verse 3, he says, take nothing for your journey, neither staves. Uh, staves is the plural to say staff, right? One staff, plural, two or three, four staves. He said, don't take staves. In one of the other Gospels, he said, take a staff. They were allowed to take one, but they can't take more than one. Take nothing for your journey, neither staves nor scrip. Scrip is a, a, a leather bag that you could put money or food in. We would almost think of it as a wallet or a purse, that type of a, let's call it a man bag. 
Let's call it a man bag. That's a script. Don't take one of those. Neither bread, neither money, neither have two coats apiece. So you could take one, not two coats. And then Jesus says in verse 4, whatsoever house ye enter into, there abide, and thence depart. You don't need to go from house to house to house. If somebody's let you in, make the most of that. When you're done in that town, leave that house. Keep it nice and simple. Jesus told them to travel lightly. Does that make sense? Travel lightly. Hold your place here. Get Luke chapter 22. Now I want you, as we compare Scripture with Scripture, I want you to see that even within the lifetime of the apostles, their ministry changed. Jesus says you guys need to get out there with haste, hastich. Get out there, take the message as far and as fast as you can, and don't let anything slow you down. But then by the time we get to the end of Jesus' life, look at verse 35. Luke 22, verse 35. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane, or let's say pressing toward it. And he said unto them, When I sent you without purse and scrip and shoes, lacked ye anything? And they said, nothing. Boy, isn't that just like the Lord? When you're obedient, when you're busy about the Father's business, He will take care of you. My God shall supply all your need according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Guys, when you walked by faith and just did as I told you, did you lack anything? No, nothing. Verse 36, then said He unto them, but now. Aha, see things change. But now, he that hath a purse, let him take it. Likewise, his scrip, he that hath no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one. So you guys that are interested in maybe a little bit of self-defense, there you go. Jesus said, this is a good time to go ahead and get you a sword. Verse 37, for I say unto you that this that is written must be accomplished in me. And he was reckoned among the transgressors. For the things concerning me have an end. Jesus quotes a verse of Scripture. Isaiah 53 said that they are going to think that I'm a criminal. And because they think I'm a criminal, they're going to think that you are all gangsters. And therefore, things are going to get dodgy. Things are going to get dangerous. So guys, because of the way society is changing around you, your ministry, the structure for your provision is going to need to change a little bit. You're not going to be going from house to house in Israel. You're going to start to go far and wide, even beyond the borders. So you need to prepare a little bit more for your journey and take you a sword. Be ready because if you get attacked, you are allowed to protect yourself. You don't have to let them just rob you and hurt you. You are allowed to defend yourself. Verse 38, they said, Lord, behold, here are two swords. And he said unto them, it's enough. That's good enough. We're not starting a physical war with people. We just need enough for some self-defense. Come back to Luke chapter 9. So you can see... That even within the lifetime of the apostles, their ministry changed. It became a little bit different. Nevertheless, there's one thing that I think you, well, at least, let's say two things you need to take away from this. Number one, God is going to provide. But number two, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that doth so easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. You know what Jesus is telling them to do? Guys, don't carry around extra baggage that will get in the way of you giving the gospel to somebody else. Now that should be the same for us, yes? 
But man, were they different. They dropped everything and said the gospel is so important, we don't even know where tomorrow's meal is going to come from. You remember when Jesus said this when he was talking to the Samaritan woman, I have meat to eat that you know not of? He was so consumed with preaching the gospel to people, he wasn't worried about where his lunch was going to come from. These disciples were so consumed by the call to preach the gospel. God will take care of it. We're just going to get the message out. Our pastor used to tell us this, God never lets a soul winner starve. God never lets a soul winner starve. Why I found that to be true. After I got saved, I told you a moment ago, I was busy with our pastor every day of the week going out witnessing. My pastor, he left the church after about six months and we had another pastor come in. And this pastor said, Brother Mike, why don't, you, um, why don't you take more opportunities to preach? So he sent me to a local nursing home. First place I ever preached was in an old folks home. I went from door to door in the old folks home, knocking on doors. And that's a challenge when they're in their 90s and 95. They can't hear that knock. I mean, you have to pound on that door. <laughs> And I remember sitting with those ums and tannies and getting to know them and talking to them. Oh, one old black lady. Oh, I, every, every, I think it was Tuesdays when I'd go. Every Tuesday afternoon, I'd go and talk to Mrs. Rosie. I'd say, hey, Rosie, how you doing? And she was sitting out in the lobby. She'd say, oh, pastor, I'm doing so good. I said, what's so good, Miss Rosie? Oh, I know Jesus. Mm, he's so good. <laughs> I just sit there and just let it rub off on me for about five, ten minutes and just let her talk about how good Jesus is. I said, Miss, every week, every week, same conversation, but I loved it. I said, Miss Rosie, what's wrong in the world? Oh, there's just so much sin. These people need Jesus. <laughs> I said, what do we do about it? She said, we just need to fast and pray and pray and fast and fast and pray. <laughs> I said, amen, Miss Rosie, that's good. Give her a big hug, and then I'd head off to the next one. And I would go room to room sharing the gospel with these old folks. I'd invite them out for a church service. They would gather 30 or 40 of them into the lobby. That, that was my first chance to preach. First sermon I ever preached in my life was in that lobby out of Luke chapter 7. I'll never forget it. Man, that was awkward. <laughs> Whew. That was, a, that was an awkward sermon. But I was trying. I was trying. I didn't do it for the money. Nobody paid me. Jesus saved me because somebody preached the gospel to me. Now I want to go do it for somebody else. I stepped down, never forget, the very last room on the right-hand side of that hallway. God help me. I, I forgot her name. I really should have written it down. But I went to see this lady every week. She couldn't get out of her room. She was in bad shape. It was in 95, I think. Every week I go to see her. She couldn't come to the church service. She would wheel her wheelchair to the doorway because all the way at the end of the hallway, she could hear me preaching in the lobby. So she'd wheel to the doorway and just kind of lean in so she could hear it. I went into her room one day and I, I you know, hello, Mrs. So-and-so. We chatted. She said, Pastor, you know, I used to go down to that Methodist church, but he hasn't been to see me in a few years. She said, you're the only pastor that comes to see me. I'm 20 years old. I'm not a pastor. It was the first time anybody called me a pastor. She said, you're the only pastor that comes to see me. She said, so I just wanted you to have this. And she took a check out of her purse and she handed it to me. 
That lady gave me $500. First time anybody had ever given me anything for preaching the gospel. I broke down in tears. It was the first time I'd ever seen God provide a need just because I was preaching. She said, since that other pastor forsook me, you're my pastor now, so this is my tithe. She said, I haven't been able to tithe for a few years, so you get the whole thing. Well, as a young couple just starting out, we needed to pay some bills, and I got to see firsthand God never lets a soul winner starve. He'll take care of you if you'll be mindful of the calling He's given you to preach the gospel. I think back in the Old Testament, you read about Elijah. You know what God told him to do? Tell the nation of Israel no rain for three and a half years. And he did. That's not a popular message, but he preached it. And then he says, now go hide by the brook Cherish. Cherith. Cherith, sorry. He said, drink of the brook and let the ravens bring you meat every day. Now, yalla bursians. Wouldn't that be something if the ravens brought the bryflace every day? <laughs> I think in, in South Africa, it would be hottie does, right? Like, <laughs> things. Every day. Every day, those ravens brought the bryflace, dropped it there at his feet. He had food to eat. And after the brook dried up, God said, go down to this place, Zarephath, and you're going to find a woman. A widow woman. The Bible says God, God said, I have commanded a widow woman to sustain thee. God said, I'm going to use this widow woman to take care of you, preacher. He gets to her and he says, uh, hello, lady, can you bring me a drink? She brings him something to drink. He says, uh, how about you bring me a, a little bit to eat? I need maybe just a cake, a small little piece of bread. She says, preacher, we don't have enough. I, I, I just have one boy and I'm about to use the last little bit of meal that we have with a little bit of oil and that's going to be the last thing we have to eat. He said, uh, you skip it, just give it to me. <laughs> I don't know if I could bring myself to do that. He said, go ahead and make it for me. And if you do that, God will never let your barrel run dry. You know that lady had plenty to eat. She made him the cake. And that barrel never ran dry. I, I, I've seen it over and over again. When you take seriously... This commission for preaching the gospel, you get to see God provide in some strange and amazing ways. But you know what happens for us a lot of times? You know why it's so different these days? Whenever we have the opportunity to go out and preach the gospel, which by the way, church, we do this weekly, Saturday mornings, Thursday afternoons, but you don't have to wait for those opportunities. Some of you go to the hospitals by yourself to, to witness to patients there. Some of you, you can just walk down the road. You know what I did for a while? I took my bry kettle outside of my fence and, and I made vores and, and cooked vores and put them in vores rolls and gave them to people walking by and preached the gospel that way for a while. Yeah, how do you like that? I know you can do that. I know you can do that. You can get creative with it, but you know why we don't? We got so much stuff. We just got stuff piled on top of stuff and every weekend and every afternoon and every spare moment of your life, you're just taking care of your stuff. And you don't have time to take care of the things of God. He said, guys, don't get bogged down. Don't get distracted. Don't get entangled with the affairs of this life. Get out there and preach the gospel. 
Thirdly, let me say this, they had a different set of priorities. These guys were just different. They had a different set of priorities. Verse 5, whosoever will not receive you, when you go out of that city, shake off the very dust from your feet for a testimony against them. They had a different set of priorities. If people didn't like what they were preaching, you know what they did? They shook it off. Shake it off. Okay. I did the best I could to explain to them that the kingdom of God is available. They didn't receive it. They're not going to be my friend. Oh well. <laughs> and they shook it off. And, and, and they made sure as they left town, shake off the dust from your feet, they'd take their sandals off and they'd clap their sandals together to make sure that the people knew as they left town, you have rejected what Jesus is offering. Let's just be clear about this. You are either with Him or against Him. They made that clear. They had a set of priorities. Listen to this. Gospel first, friendship second. They were not in the ministry to make friends. But that's not how the body of Christ is set up these days. It's all about being seeker-friendly. It's about making the church a comfortable place for the world to come in so that when they step in, they don't recognize or feel or sense a difference from what they had in the world. These guys were concerned about preaching the gospel. Jesus sent them out to do this, to be wise as serpents, harmless as doves. Please understand, I say these things, and I've said, like, I've said things like this before, and people get the idea in their head, oh, then you're just trying to purposely be hard and difficult, you know, trying to be a, a Bible-thumping, going out there just get saved, bless God, turn or burn. And By the way, that's a biblical phrase. <laughs> Repent or perish. Jesus said that. We, we had a young lady once handing out tracts and somebody from another church in town went, oh, yeah, you're part of that dry of bry kerk. <laughs> dry of bry. Turn or burn. That, yet that young lady came back to me. She said, Pastor, they said I'm part of that church. Oh. She, was, she was in tears because they were making fun of it. I said, Sister, do you know that's in the Bible? She went, I didn't know that. I said, that's a compliment. That, that's a compliment. Jesus said those things. I can feel it now. This isn't going over so well. That's okay. That's all right. L listen, my, my responsibility this morning is to speak the truth in love. I'm not saying these things to make enemies. I'm not going to purposely be a jerk. I'm not going to purposely be abrasive just to make enemies because that's not the end goal. The end goal is to give you the truth, but I want you to know that I, I want you to clearly know that you have to take sides in this matter. And I don't think there's any need to apologize for standing up and telling the truth. This movement has come in in these last couple hundred years in Christianity. It's called friendship evangelism. Perhaps you've heard of it. Perhaps you practice it. Friendship evangelism. And that is to say, I'm not going to preach the gospel to people. I'm simply going to befriend them. And eventually, after being friends with them long enough, they will want to be Christians because I will rub off on them. Can I just acknowledge that I understand Sometimes you do have to take a slower approach with some people. And I'm not against being friendly with people, even being friends with people. 
and, and slowly waiting patiently for the right time to explain the gospel to them. I, I think that's the right way to do it. Re, it says redeeming the time. Be, walk in wisdom toward them that are without redeeming the time. You can't just go up to everybody and start every conversation with, are you going to hell? <laughs> you need to use some wisdom. I'm not against being friends with somebody, but I refuse to compromise the truth of the gospel just to be your friend. I'm not going to hide the light of the gospel so that you like me. If you become my friend because I won't tell you the truth, what does that say about our friendship? This net oppervlakkig. It's superficial. It's all on the surface. You're not getting the real me. There's something deep in me that wants you to know Christ. The Bible says in Romans 1, the gospel of Christ is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. Is, is that right? The gospel is the power of God to save somebody, not your friendship. Your friendship might be a conduit Right? It, it can be a tool that God uses to explain the gospel to them. But at the end of the day, friend, the way that they're going to get saved is to hear the gospel. Putting it off. Refusing to tell people the gospel so that they remain your friends just turns you into a compromiser. I want to be liked. You say, but wasn't Jesus a friend to sinners? Yes. You know how he was a friend? He sat down at a meal with them and said, you guys need to repent. That was the most friendly thing you could do. I stopped a couple guys not too long ago, gave them gospel tracts, handed the tracts to them. I said, gentlemen, we give these out everywhere. I'd just like to ask you a question. If you died today, are you 100% sure you go to heaven? And one guy said, yes, definitely. And I asked the I said, what about you? He said, no, not so much. I said, well, I appreciate you being honest. I turned to the first guy and said, what makes you sure? He said, I've trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior. I said, oh, that's a good answer. That's right, amen. And I said, uh, quick question. I turned it back to the other guy. I said, has this guy ever told you about Jesus Christ? He said, never. I turned back to the first guy and I said, you are a horrible friend. Amen. You say, Brother Mike, you know, I go to these family reunions and I spend time with family there at the Braai and, and, and it's been years and years. I know if I bring the gospel up, it's just going to, okay, be smart, look for the right moment, but hey, they're going to die and go to hell unless you speak up. You know what made these men so different? Friendship came second. If you like me, great. You want to receive me into your house, great. Praise God. If you don't, dust off. Listen, I did what I could. And on we go. They had different priorities. Different priorities. And lastly, let me say this in verse number 6. They had a different standard of performance. A different standard of performance. In verse 6, and they departed. And went through the towns preaching the gospel, healing everywhere. As I've mentioned, that healing part was a part of their ministry. Not going to be part of ours on an ongoing basis. But here's what I mean by the standard of performance. Jesus said, here's something to do. Go do it. Yes, sir. And they went and did it. 
They did not say, but Jesus, it's hot. And Jesus, I, I, it's, it's, this isn't a good time of the day. And Jesus, couldn't we just do it another way? And Jesus, couldn't we just have a big concert and play music and invite people? to? Couldn't? Jesus said, this is how I want you to do it. Jesus, when he called these men, what, what did he tell them they were getting into? Jesus did not hide this. Follow me and I will make you what? Fishers of men. Has anybody told you that that's what Jesus is trying to make you into? You follow him and you will become a fisher of men. They followed him for about six, seven, eight months, something like that. And after following Jesus, watching him do it. We don't expect you to walk out cold, never having learned from somebody else. Go with someone that knows how to do it. Watch them, follow them so that you can become a fisher of of men. These men followed him and then Jesus said, guys, I am so inundated with sinners. I am so busy. They are just crawling all over me. I've got to send you out. We need more help. This harvest is too big. We need help. Guys, I'm commissioning you. I'm giving you power to do just what I'm doing this way. When you go from town to town, city to city, market to market, they know that we're connected because they see you not only saying the same thing, but doing the same miracle. So we'll all be on the same page. Now, guys, go get, get busy. Occupy. Go. You know what they did? They departed. And they went everywhere. They had a different standard of performance Take your Bible, if you would, come to 2 Corinthians 5. I had a lady not too long ago, a few years ago now, older lady. She told me point blank. She said, Pastor, I don't mind coming to church. I don't mind coming to prayer meeting. I don't mind giving. She listed off several other things she didn't mind doing. She said, but don't ever ask me to tell the gospel to anybody. She said, I promise you, I'll never do it. That's a different standard of performance. To say, I can negotiate with the Lord, and because I do nine out of ten, I'm, I'm, I'm okay. No, no, this is something that Jesus has commissioned us to do. Us. Us. You're in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Jesus could not physically go person to person, town to town, by himself and reach everybody. So he, he delegated. He called 12 others and sent them out, yes? Now we're going to get to it soon, but in Luke chapter 10, right? We're in Luke 9 today. In Luke chapter 10, you know what Jesus did? It says he appointed another 70 also. 12 wasn't enough. He said we need more help. He sent out 70 more people to do the same thing. Same ministry. Now, that's 82 people. That was 82 people for that little area. That was enough. But I have actually met people that say the job of preaching the gospel is only meant for those people. God never intended for every Christian to share the gospel with somebody else. Okay, so let's just, if you will, allow me. Can we do the math real quick? This is going to get real ridiculous real fast. But just work with me. 82 people by 8 billion. That's how many people are in the world. Didn't Jesus say go to the uttermost part of the earth? No. Right? So the whole world. Preach the gospel to every creature, right? In all the world. 8 billion divided by 82 means each person has to reach 97 million 
560,976 people. Okay, that's, that's, yes, that's ridiculous, not going to happen. All right, so, so let's take the world picture out of view for a moment. Let's just talk about Potch. Pachestrum, Ikacheng. When you put those two places together, we have about 150,000 people living in this, in this area. I tried real hard to put a number to this. You know, on Saturdays, we are anywhere from five to sometimes 15 people from our church out on the streets witnessing. On Thursdays, the students mainly make up that group, but there's some others as well. We're also five or 10 people every Thursday. And like I said, I know many of you also, every chance you get, you're trying to give the gospel somehow, some way. I know that. But I had to put a number to this. I don't know how many times you've gone out on the streets and seen somebody else out there handing out tracts trying to tell sinners the gospel. I don't know if you've seen it. I have never seen it. I have seen other pastors in maybe a coffee shop or something talking with a church member, and perhaps there they are evangelizing. So I, I have to give it that. I don't, wanna, I, I don't think I'm the only pastor that does it, but I don't know of too many other pastors on the streets. Okay? So I'm just giving a number to this. I'm going to say in Potch, maybe five. If you take five pastors dedicated to reach 150,000 people, that means each pastor needs to reach 30,000 people. Okay? Let's say this. This is ridiculous as well. Each sinner of the 30,000 requires one man hour to reach them, find them, explain the gospel to them, answer all their questions. The Holy Ghost has to work in their heart. They can get saved in one hour. Okay, that's, re that's not realistic. But I'm just putting a number to it. So 30,000 sinners requires 30,000 man hours. That means I have to work eight hours a day straight for 3,750 days, which is just a bit more than 10 years. If you give me weekends off, I'll finish it in 13 years. But like I said, that's ridiculous because no, you cannot expect to go find the sinner and in one hour get the job done. You know what I found here in Potch? Here in Potch, if you go out handing out tracts and ask people, are you a Christian? I would say about one out of every two people will say, yep, I'm a Christian. Now, I'm not saying they are, but that's what they will say. I see many of you nodding. You, you, you know, that, that's the profession. Now, let's say this. If it is actually 50% Christian in this town, that means there's 75,000 Christians. You know what the ratio is now? All of those saved people need to just find one other person. Well, that's doable. <laughs> okay, we can just uh, pray, dismiss, and go find the guy. If we would just take this attitude of depart and let's go everywhere. You see what a difference it makes if everybody gets on board and does their part? The problem is not everybody pulls their weight. Things are so different. These men were sent and they went. Jesus sends us and we say, oh, but Lord, that's why I have a pastor. That's why I put the money in the plate for him to go do it. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us. Who is the us? New creatures. If you have been born again, you are part of that us. And the us, in verse 18, hath given to us the what? Ministry of 
reconciliation. It is our job to go find sinners and bring them to God. Verse 19, to wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them. That is to say, instead of punishing the sinner, God punished his son. And hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. We have the ministry and we have the word which is the gospel. That's what we're supposed to tell people. Verse 20, now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. You know, those apostles, they were just different. Because as soon as Jesus said, go get it done, yes sir, and they went as far and as wide as they could, finding sinners. This is not just a job for the apostles. It's not just a job for the 70. Folks, you may not go to every town like these apostles. It, it may not be your calling to go to Stillfontaine and Clarksdorp and Kimberly and on and on, okay? You might be localized, and that's fine. You may not go from town to town, but you can go from opportunity to opportunity, looking as you go about your day, looking for an opportunity to tell somebody else about the Lord Jesus Christ. That is our calling. If you're a new creature, you are now an ambassador. You know what it says in verse 20? We beseech you in Christ's stead. Instead of, instead of Christ going from sinner to sinner, we go from sinner to sinner in His stead and beseeching. This is what it looks like. Beseeching, begging, please sinner, please come to God through Christ, please. That's what we read in the book of Luke. That's what we see in the book of Acts. This sincere service and that's why they were so different. We just don't see that like we should. I want to encourage you as we close this sermon. You're going to see several of these gospel tracks on the back table, on the table as you leave. Grab you a handful of tracks and determine in your heart today. I may not go from town to town, but I will go from opportunity to opportunity and at least get the gospel into somebody's hand. Let's all stand if you would please. Let's have our heads bowed and our eyes closed. The pianist will come and play something softly and we'll just take a few minutes. I'd like for you to think on what you've heard. These men were just different. And their calling was different. They had a different purpose at that time. But there should be some things that remain the same. It's so easy to get too busy with the things of this world. It's so tempting to stay quiet so that we can be friends with everybody. I like friends. I want friends. I don't want enemies. But I'm not willing to put down the gospel just to get friends.
perhaps today you just need to make that commitment in your heart. Lord, I'm going to look for a chance to tell someone. Yep, the apostles were unique. But the zeal, the seriousness by which they went out, that should be the same. God's not asking you to reach all of Potch. Just reach that center in front of you. Reach the one near you. Father, we thank you this morning for the incredible privilege of going out to preach the gospel. Lord, help us. We know that it's not going to be popular. It's not always going to be well received. But Lord, you've given us an opportunity to labor together with you. We want to take that seriously. Father, I pray give all of us a chance this week, this week, God, to hand out a track, to invite somebody to church, or to full-on explain the gospel. Please, open that door for us, God. As we dismiss, Lord, please don't let the fowls of the air snatch away the seed. Help us to be ready to do something about it. In Jesus' name, amen.